practicing as we move ever closer to shifting form. Engaging with your practice this morning, including and working with whatever components you've tried on in this week we've spent together that support you and that support being present as the energy starts to move swiftly as we prepare to go home. This is the Olympic opportunity to practice. Whether it's breath or body or sound or Vedana, neutral, pleasant, unpleasant, emotions, thoughts, metta, karuna, mudita, upeka, standing, sitting, whatever aspect of practice is prominent and upfront for you this morning. Remembering to have ease and relaxation, balance, grounding, gatheredness. Not a lot of instruction this morning. I'm just going to read you a little myth. Remind you to keep it simple. There was a conference of all the human faculties, all the senses, the five senses plus the mind. As at many meetings, they first had to decide who would be in charge. Who would facilitate? Sight popped up and put in its bid, creating beautiful images that had everyone enraptured. Smell arose, creating powerful and haunting aromas that left everyone tingling with anticipation. But taste could top that, with astounding and delectable flavors from all the world's cuisines. Hearing created exquisite harmonies that brought everyone to tears. And the body brought on physical sensations that had everyone in ecstasy. And the mind, the mind spun out intellectual theories that took on beauty by the depths of the truths they expressed. Along came the breath, not even one of the senses and said it wanted to be in charge. All it could present was the simple in and out breath, not terribly impressive in the face of everything else. No one even noticed it. 
The other senses got into a tremendous argument about which of them would be chosen. The breath and its disappointment began to walk away. And the images began to fade. The tastes lost their savor. The sounds faded. Wait, wait, the senses called out. Come back, you can lead. We need you. And the breath came back and took its proper place.
I'll be ringing the bell in a moment and just noticing again how it is for you as form continues to shift and change, the impermanence of it all. So a last poem from Dara to acknowledge the work that we've done here together this week. With gratitude, I remember the people, animals, plants, insects, creatures of the sky and sea, air and water, fire and earth, all whose joyful exertion blesses my life every day. With gratitude, I remember the care and labor of 1,000 generations of elders and ancestors who came before me. I offer my gratitude for the safety and well-being I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the blessings of this earth I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the measure of health I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the family and friends I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the community I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the teachings and lessons I have been given. I offer my gratitude for the life I have been given. So true to the form that's ending, I have one announcement for you this morning. Um, I've been asked by some of you, and, um, um, and we were talking about it, to just let you know that um, this is going to happen again next year with all five of us. And um, it'll be February 19th to the 24th, so just a week after it began this year. So perhaps we'll see some of you there again. Um, but thank you for the, you know, a lot of, a lot of our commitment to continuing to offer this retreat arises out of the feedback you all gave us. So, thank you for that, Sangha. Thank you. So I'm going to share a little, just some tidbits about going home. Um, and I know I don't normally do this, but I'm going to start with a poem this time. <laughs> <laughs> this is my, I, 
I have so many, but this is really my most famous. My, my, this is the best poem ever. <laughs> it's the best poem ever. It's by someone named Al Zolanas. And it's entitled, Under Ideal Conditions. They say that, um, say in the flattest part of North Dakota, on a starlit, starless, moonless night, no breath of wind, a person could light a candle, then walk away. Every now and then, they could turn and see the candle burning. Seventeen miles later, provided conditions remained ideal, they could still see the flame. And somewhere between the 17th and the 18th mile, they would lose the light. If they were walking backwards, they could know the exact moment when they lost the flame. They could step forward and find it again, back and forth, dark to light, light to dark. Where's the place where the light disappears, where the light reappears. Don't tell me about photons and eyeballs, reflections and refractions. Don't tell me about 186,000 miles per second and the theory of relativity. All I know is that place where the light appears and disappears, that's the place where we live. That's what we're going into. We're going into a world having spent a week with the practice coming and going and coming and going in ideal conditions to help us see. But this candle, this flame that we've cultivated, we're going to go. Sometimes we're going to lose it. Sometimes we're going to find it. It's just this place between losing the light and finding the light. It's here. It's gone. And but the flame itself remains. We don't go too far away from it. So I want to give us a little bit of tidbits here. Here's the difficulty with giving, with answering all the questions and giving all the best advice is that none of us up here and none of you out there have any idea what is going to unfold in the next few hours, days, years, who knows. So what we're doing is pointing to some possibilities of how to practice in this edge between losing the light and having the light, finding it and losing it and finding it and losing it. So the first place I want to touch on is with our technology and our electronics. And I'm not one that shies away from electronics at all. I think it's just part of the human existence and human brain. But when it comes to mindfulness, we're trying to see if we can notice when the technology has got us attached and when we're more spacious around it. And when it's got us more attached, what does it feel like for those of you that let go of it if you just let it go? You know it's possible to give yourself some space around it. So to be, and especially when you first start out, to be sensitive to this um, reality that you're, uh, you may not be used to using it at the level that you were before. 
In fact, the, the best understanding I can give you is that our level of sensitivity in this space is very normal to each other. But outside of this space, it's very different. We didn't see it happening, but it has happened. And so with the technology, you may find yourself getting overwhelmed if you don't kind of titrate how often and how much you look at it. Assuming none of you had it while we were on retreat. (laughs) So for those of you that really let it go, you don't have to be afraid of it, but also don't be afraid of your sensitivity when you find yourself getting overwhelmed with emails and, and little messengers and, and the news and all of that that we looked at before and it didn't bring tears and all of that. What's going on? It's just your level of sensitivity. You've moved a little bit into the dark and then just put the phone down and move a little bit back into that light while you find your way. And then speaking to this sensitivity, um, you are much stiller than you may even be aware of, much quieter, more sensitive to even the slightest sound. I got a note from someone who said, everything was going good, and then someone moved, and all of a sudden there was all this kerfuffle going on and disruption, and how do I not be so disrupted? And that is not possible. You're sensitive. This is what the world is. This is who we are as human beings. We've come back to the level of true sensitivity, the way data comes into us through all these sense doors. So everything looks brighter, and our ears hear more, and sounds are louder. You know, little touches, they're more pronounced. It's not a sign of bad things. It's just a sign that you're alive. You're here in your body again. And so you're understanding more um, the felt sense of being in the world. And so it just means that we have to take a little care with how we uh, move about in the world. And again, you'll find yourself getting, (gasps) and that's just, oh, I've gotten a little bit into the way too far away from the, the light and come on back to the flame a little bit and just recognizing that's what's going on. This is sensitivity. This is particular pronounced for those of you that are going to the airport. Or if you're going to drive in, you know, the traffic around here is not bad, but as you start going towards these big cities, the traffic changes, the speed in which the world moves in. We, don't, we haven't been moving in that speed. You're going to eventually get back up to that same speed. So it's not like you're like, oh no, i got to pull the world and slow everything down. We all get back up to that same speed. But you will learn, as time goes on, how to carry the stillness at that speed. That's what we're, we're not trying to force the world to come back to the conditions of IMS. We need to have the world like a big giant retreat. Just think about some of the drama that went on in your head. Maybe the world shouldn't be there. But But we're trying to see if we can find that inner flame 
that reminds us that that stillness is possible even when there's all this stuff going on in the head. Um, So, temper a little bit your expectations of the silence. This silence is beautiful and it's very nice. And you haven't lost it. It's always here. It's the space that we live in. It's air. So the silence will never go. But it may get harder and harder and harder to access it. It's that second music that sometimes is difficult to hear it when everything else in the world is big and lively. So it's learning to tune into it. And one way I always try to help myself tune into silence is I imagine the moment, even a meeting, a courtroom, it didn't matter where I was, I imagine that place, that moment in time at 4 a.m. Because at 4 a.m., there's no lights on, no people. It's got that eerie feeling to it. Almost like you shouldn't be awake. Why are you awake? No one else is awake. And I just imagine it, that space, and then add the lights and the people and the talking and all of that in so I can remember that that 4 a.m. moment is always there. So that's what you're looking for, just the space that holds wherever you're at. Shelley reminded me of this other really nice thing. She said that uh, this idea of holding on to your mindfulness, keep it, I'm going to be mindful now all the time, that is just not going to (laughs) work. I got to tell you, as mindful as you might have been, it's going to be quick when it goes away. So be delighted when you notice that mindfulness has returned. It's the same delight when we're in meditation and I'm back here. I was lost in thought, now I'm back here. Hold that with delight and not dwell on the heavy kind of punishing when the mindfulness is not here. And then if you ever have a moment to just sit on the couch, sit on the couch. Do nothing, sit on the couch, do nothing. (laughs) Sit at the table, do nothing. And just sit there. Um, So I think we want to have some time to um, take some of your questions. Um, And I want to leave you with one last story before I go. So when I used to go on retreats, at the end of the retreat, because I grew up in a family that didn't know anything about what I was doing, they would throw a party for me. (laughs) So I would leave the retreat, Cloud Mountain, drive in that heavy traffic to Seattle, go to my sister's house just in time for dinner, and we'd have this party. Two hours into it, I'm cussing everybody out. I'm mad at everybody. I couldn't. My sister would say, maybe that meditation isn't for you. (laughs) I didn't understand. I used to try to force myself to hold it, and I didn't understand. 
one retreat, I, my car would not work, and I caught a ride with someone else. So when I uh, was going to leave the retreat, I said, well, we can't have this party because I got to go home. We'll just do it next week instead, since I'm getting a ride. That happenstance, that thing that, this, this happened thing, helped me see I was too still. I was too quiet. So going to the house with everybody in the big party mode was never going to work out okay. So I share that with you. So after that, I mean, the party had to come way after. The longer the retreats, the longer before we had a party. But I share that with you because some of what this whole going home is about is finding your way on how to manage and balance your stillness, your sensitivity with what's going on in your life. And you may not necessarily understand that right away, but as time goes on, um, you'll begin to understand what's the best way to hold all this. Okay, so now we're going to take some questions. Yeah, questions about going home. Sorry. I think there's one over here, Shelley. You need a mic? I mean, um. This isn't a question about going home, but I wanted to ask if you would talk for just a moment about why we bow. I think the bowing is just a personal preference. So there's a way the deeper, especially as teachers, we've been with the Buddha and the Dhamma for a long, long time. And there's a way in which you begin to have a deep sense of reverence for the Buddha, his, his work, the Dhamma. And so the bow is really more of a sign of respect and appreciation for what it takes to do this work. At least that's what I think. Yeah, and there's actually um, a multitude of reasons why teachers, why people bow, and so each of us have that. Um, But I know when I bow, I'm doing two things, acknowledging that I'm stepping into ceremony as I come up to sit here, and it's an opportunity to re-engage Buddha Dhamma Sangha in terms of taking refuge. So those are the reasons why I bow. And everybody has to find, you know, that was a, 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 a big step for me when I was earlier in my, I was like, I'm not bowing to nothing and nobody, right? <laughs> and for many years, it was like that until one night I had a experience in here sitting um, by myself. And from there, the heart just opened and I could see what was available for the deepening of practice through engaging that practice. So it's just another aspect of practice. Would you go into the, um, what is six-part walking? I know there's intention and movement, and I could count eight, I could count four. What are the six parts? (laughs) Yeah, this is what I heard of the six-point, yeah. 
It's that intention, the balance to the shift, then the lifting of your foot, the moving of your foot, the placing of your foot. And that sixth one is the noticing of the movement that you're actually forward moving. So that's, that sixth one is kind of like part of that sense of movement. That's what I know it as. Yeah, that's the first one. The intention to the intention to take the step, the actual shifting of the body, then the lifting of the foot, the forward kind of movement of the foot, the placement of the foot, and then the felt sense of movement as the sixth one. We're on this side with a couple. I'll wait for you guys to tell me what you see. And, I'll <laughs> and then there's this. Hi. Um, so I have a question about going home. Um, uh, coming to these retreats, um, I'm often met with a lot of ridicule from my family and my colleagues. Um, so <laughs> I usually just lie about it. <laughs> um, but I, I'm a, I was a little truthful this time. I was like, oh, I'm going to practice yoga, <laughs> which seemed a little bit more accessible. Um, uh, but I, I, I still told my, my family what I was doing, and whew, that was really hard to um, navigate their questions and um, their comments. And so I'm, I'm, I'm looking for advice on how to... Uh, be as truthful with them as I can um, without taking what they say personally, um, especially since I'm just tearing up just talking about this because it's, it's very meaningful to me. So one of the things to um, just remain mindful of is that our families, really the bottom line, are just concerned that we're all right. Like we're not going to join some cult. You know, we're not going to leave our relationship with them. But, so really there's a, a anxiety or a fear that may be driving um, how they uh, try to engage you not to engage in this, Right. And so just understanding that there is, for the most part, for most people, just a concern that you're okay. For me, you know, um, when I would go home to, um, to my family, I would, and they said, how was it? What did you do? I said, it was great. I feel refreshed and I'm doing really well. That's all I would say, you know, to them, to other people that had that knew what I was doing, had an understanding of it. Um, I could go into more detail, but really they just want to know you're all right. You know, um, the ridicule, the, the various things that you spoke to in terms of um, taking hits, your experience of taking hits and non-support, um, really engage. That's, you know, one of the things that, um, to where he pointed to, but Sangha is really important so it doesn't have to be if you live in a place or you're 
even in your place where there are sanghas and whatnot, but you're not engaged with it. That one person or that, speak to that one person. Let that, that person that understands, let that person support you in being here, right? Um, so that's a little bit about what I would say. Does anybody else have, Nakaway, you have a thought about that? There's a f- saying that um, I've heard before about going home, which is when you go home, don't be a Buddhist, be a Buddha. And so I I could hear in your questions, very tender, you know, this sort of wish to share something that is um, very meaningful, as you said, to you, deep touching. And um, it takes some skill and discernment to know where to share that tenderness and where, as Dara is suggesting, to just say, my husband always says, when people, when you leave retreat and people ask how it was, say, it was good. <laughs> um, and even for, <laughs> for you or for others as well, to know that... Um, even if you find a friend, a sangha, a someone who you can talk to, to remember that even though the form is going to change, that the, rest- the retreat, the momentum of the retreat is still alive in you. And so often it's not a good idea to immediately go. There can be <laughs> an impulse to go and share the deepest thing that happened. Um, and maybe not in the spirit of understanding that whatever that was, whatever moved you most deeply in this retreat, is still alive in you, is still growing, and that it will be growing in a different context as you leave, but that that's a respectful gesture to your own experience, not to spit it all out right away. Even (laughs) Even to welcoming ears, but less so to um, folks who are, are going to not be kind with something that's tender for you. I just want to add one thing. I like that you say you're going on a yoga retreat. I mean, if that helps them understand and they let it go, yoga it is. Workshop. That's even better. Yoga workshop. Everybody's good. Everybody's happy. (laughs) Also, most people get if you say, oh yeah, I'm going to this place where they cook for me and I just get to be kind of quiet and hang out by myself and have a little downtime. Most people get that. So my mom also thinks that I joined a cult, by the way. (laughs) And uh, sorry, yeah. And my question is sort of in line with that. I certainly don't think that we are here in a cult. But And I spoke with Shelley briefly about this in our meeting thing. Um, My question is, do you think it is possible to separate 
um, mindfulness and meditation from religion and mythology and idolatry and ceremony. Well, it's totally possible. I mean, that's the whole um, flow, structure, orientation of the secular mindfulness movement, which is now very popular in America. You know, that we can learn the technique of meditation and benefit from the technique of meditation without any of the other things that you mentioned. And I think it's one of the things that's helped a lot of people feel like, you know, you could say yoga retreat or a meditation retreat it used to be meditation was really weird and now it's much more mindfulness anyway it's much more mainstream um, so I think it's a matter of one's preference you know that it is certain, lots and lots and lots of people are doing meditative practice without the context in which it sits um, personally I find that context really useful and helpful, but um, can it be done? Absolutely, can be done. You know, I think like anything, when you take out one ingredient from the soup, you don't have the soup anymore. You have the one ingredient, right? So, wise mindfulness is the seventh step of the eightfold noble path. So, it's it's one piece, and it's obviously a potent piece. But there are other aspects of the training of the heart-mind that we're engaged in that include engaging with ethical behavior, cultivating kindness and compassion, uh, having clarity about our views and perspective, etc. So I don't know, I don't know if there was something more to the question, but just like saying I went on a yoga retreat, I think these days for many people you can say, yeah, I'm practicing mindfulness and it doesn't seem like, um, it's just not as weird as it used to be. <laughs> or not as cult-like maybe as it used to be. Yeah. So I'm noticing with profound disappointment that five days of meditation hasn't taken my fear of public speaking. (laughs) My heart's pounding, and I have the simplest, most basic sort of mundane question. So I think a lot of people experience that meditating every day is exponentially better than meditating every other day, or not, not twice as good as every other day, but a lot, lot better. Is there an amount of time that each person, I know it's probably different for everybody, but is there a way to identify for yourself, oh, this is, this is kind of the sweet spot of an amount that you should commit to practice? I think you should practice as much as you can. And I, I don't I say that a little bit tongue in cheek, but it's really true because if we if we raise the bar too high, then we're constantly in a state of disappointing ourselves. Um, so please don't do that. 
don't say, oh, I get supposed on five days of meditation retreat, I'm going to go home, I'm going to sit two hours a day, and, and then you give up. It's actually better to just do a little bit. little bit is good. And if that little bit can stretch a little more, great. But I think that it's, it's that the intention and the commitment is as important as any particular length of time. And I used to have, when I first started to practice, I had, my timer was, um, I was watching my impulse, and I would wait for three rounds of impulse to get up. Sometimes I didn't sit very long, like two minutes. But nonetheless, I'd I'd sit, I'd start to settle in, and then I'd feel the impulse to get up, and I'd sit. And there it was again. So I'd go three times like that. So to find something in you internally as your timer is more important than, you know, the clock. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really good. And the other thing I would add for, I know for myself, is to really soften this separation in terms of sitting practice versus meditating, right? So sitting practice, any, any, discover what supports you in terms of your practice, in terms of length of time. You know, Joseph used to say, you know, if you're in one of those times where you're just finding you're not sit, then go stand in front of your cushion and bow, and then off to whatever it is you're doing. So just that pause to bring you back online in terms of being present and mindful. Um, but for, for me, for instance, um, I, my goal and intention is, is, is presence 24-7. So I don't meet 24-7, but literally, I was saying some, to this to somebody I was speaking to during the week, you know, riding on the train in the city, eyes open, meditating, you know, standing online. Um, at the, where's my mind? Where's my body? So really get creative and um, um, a little spacious around what your meditation practice looks like, which includes sitting meditation, but is not exclusive to sitting meditation. So just... um, just in case there's anything left over, burning. We're noticing that um, perhaps some of the folks in here who are people of color, if there's anything burning, a question you want to ask, or um, anyone who's been really um, quiet the whole retreat. (laughs) Uh, That might be a problem. I know. (laughs) Um, So I see your hand, but I think you asked a question kind of towards the beginning, right? When we had a Q&A in here, am I right? Yeah. So it's just, is there anyone, just give the space in case there's anyone else. I just wanted to see if there was, we only have time for one more question. And I wanted to see if a person of color, usually in a room where there's, when there's so many white people, the people of color tend not to ask the question. If there is no question, then we're going to move on to the next thing. But if there is, I just want to create a little bit of, just a little doorway to let that possibility happen. So we'll take one second and see. 
Looks like we're all good. Okay. It's your turn. It's my turn. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. <laughs> We're going to emerge back into the world of talking humans. Maybe you've not been waiting for this. Maybe you've been dreading this. So just take a moment to connect with your system and see what it feels like just to anticipate talking. And is there a way to bring some space, some equanimity to what's moving in the system, in the body right now? Maybe a breath. Maybe a little movement of the shoulders, an adjustment of the posture to see what is needed. And now just move your head around and just kind of gaze at other humans. <laughs> Not zoning in on any one person, but just give a look. Notice what that's like. Really with the intention to stay connected to the body. And noticing if we've already forgotten about the body. <laughs> how quickly that can happen right? one of the instructions that uh, one of my teachers offered to me is to keep a percentage of the attention of the awareness on what's happening here and a percentage of the attention on what's happening externally so when we're having a conversation tracking the system and also tracking the experience of being in relationship with another person, right? What's happening for them, what's moving in the field between us. And that percentage is different for every person. So whereas one person might have, um, might instinctually give it all externally and forget, another person might be more inclined to keep it all, right? All the attention, so experiment with what, what might work. It might be 80-20, 50-50, you know, see what, what is needed. And so we're going to break the silence gently. And so in a moment, I'm going to ask you to turn to someone near you and just start to have a conversation. We'll start by... <laughs> We'll start by kind of talking, not quite in a whisper, but a little hushed, right? Letting the, the voice kind of warm up. And we're not going to jump right into the deepest experiences, the most difficult topics. We're going to try to keep it in the zone of neutral-ish, right? So one idea is just to start to give voice to what's happening for you. So very simply, ah. Oh, okay, I am talking now and I notice this, my eyebrows are kind of moving up and 
my head's moving around and there's a little buzz in my chest and uh, I don't know what to say and I'm going to pause and this feels weird and I'm wondering how you are with all of this. Something like that, right? That's, you know, it's okay if that sounds weird. We're just going to be weird together. (laughs) (laughs) It can be really useful just to start to talk like that as a way of reminding ourselves to stay connected while we're engaged in conversation. And we need to learn how to do this, don't we? Because we are talking so much of our lives. And like Dara said, I also have the intention to be aware from the moment I wake up until the moment I go to sleep and not limit my practice to the cushion. So if we do that, if we limit, if we uh, reject certain parts of our lives and we just limit our uh, capacity for waking up, So we want to learn how to be mindful while we're talking, while we're engaging, so that we can have a fighting chance of doing it when it gets more complicated. Yeah. All right. So neutral-ish topics. I've appreciated the weather. The food has been good. I'm not really sure about this right now. Tracking our body. Something like that, just for a couple of minutes, and then we'll ring the bell and we'll, we'll add people to your group. So we'll start with two, and then we'll move to four, and we'll take a pause, and it will all be okay. Nobody will die. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Go for it.
So we'll let the words fall away just for a moment. And just take a moment to pause and connect with our systems fully without any obligation or responsibility to be social. Noticing the energy that's there and how and where it's felt and moving. Noticing that energy wants to move. So our job is to help it, allow it, give permission. Breath is a nice way to do that. And the system knows how to be nimble. So we can talk and return and talk and return and talk and return. It's all good. Even if it feels differently, it's still good. (laughs) All right, so... Uh, find a group of three or four or five people and feel free to move about the room if you'd like to connect with someone and continuing to have some conversation again keeping it uh, light rather than deep not sharing your deepest meditative experiences yet
So making some gesture, making some gesture of acknowledgement, appreciation for the talking and listening, the contributions that everybody's made, and then returning to your seat or cushion. Yeah, just checking in again. Like, how is how is it here? What's it like? And connecting with the body, because that's how we know. What's it like right now? And also notice how the mind is really eager to whip up a story about how it is when it's maybe confusing. Like, there might be a lot of energy in the body, and it might be, you know, the mind wants to go like, oh, I know that because... I'm a person who likes to not talk and, or I'm this kind of a person or I'm that kind of a person, right? Or this is my difficulty and whatever. The mind really is looking for some resolution and maybe it doesn't need to do that. It can just rest in the experience. Thank you. So moving on to the next piece, when we first started the retreat, we had taken the five precepts. And we had taken them in the beginning to help us form community, to feel secure and safe with each other by taking certain precepts that enable us to live a life with integrity. So we decided, well, usually we do end the retreats with the precepts, but we're going to try a different set of precepts. Um, These precepts are from the Mansaniya village. They were originally adopted by Thich Nhat Hanh, and they deal a lot with how to live in the present world. So it's a little bit more pertinent to how we're going out into the world. So it's going to be a call and response, because I know you don't have the sheet in front of you. I'll say it one time, the whole precept. Each one of us is going to do the five, so I'll do the first one. Um, I'll read the whole thing first, and then the second time around I'll take pieces and we'll do call and response. Aware of the violence in the world and of the power of nonviolent resistance, I stand in the presence of ancestors, the earth, and future generations and vow to cultivate the compassion that seeks to protect each living being. So I'll take it pieces. Aware of the violence in the world. And of the power of nonviolent resistance. I stand in the presence of ancestors, the earth, and future generations, and vow to cultivate the compassion that seeks to protect each living being. Aware of the poverty and greed in the world. Aware of the poverty and greed in the world. 
and of the intrinsic abundance of the earth. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations, and vow to cultivate the simplicity, gratitude, and generosity that have no limits. Aware of the poverty and greed in the world, and of the intrinsic abundance of the earth. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations, and vow to cultivate the simplicity, gratitude, and generosity. Generosity, generosity that have no limits. Aware of the abuse and lovelessness in the world and of the healing that is made possible when we open to love, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations and vow to cultivate the respect for beauty and the erotic power of our bodies. Aware of the abuse and lovelessness in the world. Aware of the abuse and lovelessness in the world. And of the healing that is made possible. And of the healing that is made possible. When we open to love. When we open to love. I stand in the presence of the ancestors. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, the earth, and future generations, and future generations, and vow to cultivate the respect, and vow to cultivate the respect for beauty, for beauty, and the erotic power of our bodies, and the erotic power of our bodies. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world and of the power of living and speaking the truth, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations and vow to cultivate the ability to listen and clarity and integrity in all I communicate by my word and actions. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world. Aware of the falsehood and deception in the world. And of the power of living and speaking the truth. And of the power of living and speaking the truth. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations. And vow to cultivate the ability to listen. And have clarity and integrity in all I communicate. By my word and actions. actions. 
aware of the contamination and desecration of the world and of my responsibility for life as it manifests through me, I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations and vow to cultivate care and right action to honor and respect the health and well-being for my body and mind and the planet. Aware of the contamination and desecration of the world. And of my responsibility for life. As it manifests through me. I stand in the presence of the ancestors, the earth, and future generations. And vow to cultivate care and right action to honor and respect the health and well-being for my body and mind and the planet. Um, the next part, we're going to come down, this next part of the ceremony, and uh, actually offer a formal forgiveness ceremony. We'll do this in two parts. The first part will be the teachers, and then the second part will be everybody that wants to participate. So we know as teachers that we may have caused harm by our words, our actions, or our deeds, our thoughts, um, knowingly or unknowingly. And if we caused any harm to you in any way, we ask for your forgiveness. And you may think that you have caused us some harm in some way, knowingly or unknowingly, by your thoughts or your words or your actions. And we want you to know that you are forgiven. Now, this is for all of us. Um, Each of us may think that we cause some harm to ourselves in some way, knowingly or unknowingly, by our thoughts or 
our words or our action. And if you are able, uh, you can extend yourself some forgiveness with three bows. And it may be that you believe or um, that someone of this group caused you harm or that you caused harm to another member of our sangha by our thoughts or our words or our deeds, whether knowingly or unknowingly. And if you're able, we offer each other forgiveness. Thank you for your practice. So and further, further along on the path to closing, we're going to be forming a circle. But I'll give you instructions exactly how we're going to do that. One of the things is that we're going to maintain silence while we're doing this. So we'll continue with silence. First, we're going to clear the room. So we're going to ask everybody to put away their blankets, their safus, any pillows in the back where you had them, fold your things and put them to the side, uh, um, the sabatons. We're going to make four rows up in the front, right in front of the stairs here, and you're going to pile the sabatons in the front. So we're going to um, do that in silence. If we could start that now, thank you.
I got a moment I can teach my chant to everybody while we're waiting. So there's a chant that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's group created for loving kindness. I think it's so beautiful. So um, I'll start it, and then I'll just keep singing it, and you just join right in. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. May I be filled with loving kindness. May I be well. May I be peaceful and at ease. May I be happy. Yeah, that'd be great if everybody could get into the circle in the back over there. And we can make room if we want to scoot closer together. And if you can need to sit down, please do. Listen to your body. So are we all here? So we're going to close the circle and we're going to add two words into the circle to close that. And we'll go around the room and everybody can just, whatever comes to your heart, two words you'd like to share with the Sangha. So I'll share love and freedom. Care and gratitude. Forgiveness and thanks. Surrender and gratitude. Sangha and peace. Abundance and love. Gratitude and peace. Inspired 
and wise. Peace and ease. Doubt and equanimity. Compassion and love. Quiet and presence. Mudita, mudita. Acceptance and gratitude. Integration and breath. Compassion and gratitude. Um, stillness and curiosity. Awakened heart. Forest snow. Calm and forgiveness. Compassion and forgiveness. Snow moon. Freedom and gratitude. Gratitude and snow. Compassion and love. Calm and clarity. Sangha, the midday sun. Curiosity and awe. Love and unity. Loving awareness. Compassion and openness. Beautiful life. Surrender and liberation. Keep going. (laughs) Um, Nurture and play. Kind and open. Ease and freedom. Friendship and freedom. Warmth and voices. Release, repeat. Here and now. Fog and practice. Sadness, welcome. Healing and joy. Inspiration, appreciation. Being and home. Breath and mercy. Possibility and embodiment. Suffering, acceptance. Gratitude and healing. Confusion and persistence. Gratitude and breath. Trust, courage. Slowness and opening. Peaceful and gratitude. Um, Discovery and uh, anxiety. Survival and relief. Perseverance and joy. Separate, integrate. Beauty, 
hope. Optimism, open heart. Freedom and forgiveness. Thank you. Safe heart. Peace and joy. Compassion and wisdom. Trust and forgiveness. Listening and non-judging. Forgiveness and serenity. Joy and balance. Joy and pain. Still mountain. Equanimity and gratitude. Kindness and faith. Love and sadness. Heart container. Don't know. Becoming and finding. Ancestors integration. Pea soup. So good. I agree. (laughs) Gratitude, peace. Let go. Breath and being. Unity and community. Stronger purpose. New understandings. Messy and yes. Content and connected. Faith and yogis. Full and happy. So just the invitation to look around the circle your Dharma siblings, fellow journeyers on the path. Taking in the days of effort, of persistence, of courage, of kindness, of wisdom that have been cultivating in each of our seats. And knowing that, like everything, uh, this too will pass. This particular formation of us here today will never be here again. Feeling the twine of loss and love that comes together as we face the truth of our temporality. Hmm. And there's a tradition in Buddhist practice (laughs) sometimes called offering of merit or the sharing of blessings 
And the understanding is that as we reflect for a bit on uh, what has opened, awakened, been touched or inspired in each of us, that all of that goodness, all those seeds that have been planted, that they grow exponentially when we share them, when we offer them freely, not just for our own benefit, but for the benefit of many, many beings, seen and unseen, known and unknown. So taking a moment to breathe into your own heart, and considering (laughs) all of the seeds that have been planted here today and yesterday and in these days we've shared together. And really allowing yourself to enjoy the goodness, the benefit, the merit, the wholesomeness of this journey that we've been on together. fully taking it in. (coughs) And in a moment, I'm going to ask us all together to breathe in, to inhale all of that goodness, putting our arms out and gathering it to us. And then as we exhale, to raise our arms and send it out, really, uh, with open hands and open hearts, extending all of that goodness out into the world. And as you do the upward motion, you are free to make any sound you would like. All right. So the inhale, let's gather all of that goodness in, really breathing it in through your own heart, letting it fill the body. And with the exhale, sending it up and out, So may we all be uh, as well as possible as we, uh, the the shape of the circle changes. And uh, one other thing. Oh, no, I was just going to say that we have to vacate this room right away because they have to clean it. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So you might want to hold the circle a little longer, but you can't. Um, You are welcome to... All of us are welcome to move into the room, the walking room just in front, but the staff needs to clean this room, so if we can move ourselves quickly. Um, So now you're free. (laughs) Many blessings.